We are a podcast dedicated to the hobby of miniature painting and all things miniature related. Uh, today's show is about weathering, weathering techniques, which includes everything you can imagine from chipping and rust and, and all that sort of fun stuff. But before we get into that, we're going to just catch you up on what we've been working on the last week or two. Um, Philip, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Well, uh, since I guess it's already been two weeks, wow. Uh, time's flying. Uh, we, well, I personally, I'm starting a new job, um, so that's going to be fun. I'd, I'd be doing the painting on the side as well in the evenings and weekends with Caleb. I think it's, most um, people do that. It's yeah. generally <laughs> like paint. <laughs> it's hard to, I mean, I can speak from experience. It's hard to be a full-time painter. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, unless you're super famous like a few others. But yeah, um, we did, uh, me and Caleb actually this past week, finish working on the Orc Dread Mob. Um, yeah, that's been a fun project. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one started out with I was doing it on my own, and I just got really busy with client commissions, and then you got busy with your own stuff, and so you just kind of came into the studio for a couple days and just helped me slog it out. Yeah. Um, so what did you think about working on that? Have you, have you done a lot of orcs in the past? It was actually my first orcs. Yeah. I think I did one like 15 years ago, so nice. <laughs> I haven't touched orcs in a while. They're cool models, a lot of detail, uh, interesting to work with. Um, what I like about orcs is they're a little bigger than traditional figures, like they're yeah. bulkier and they're and so the details like washes really pop on them because mm-hmm. their muscles are really contoured. They're kind of what I think like if Arnold Schwarzenegger was a miniature, like <laughs> that would be what he's like with these Definitely. big bulging biceps and stuff. So the highlights take well, the shadows like the the, the, the washes go into the recess as well and that sort of stuff. Um, and we got to play around with a little OSL, which was fun. We yeah. worked in some green. Um, it was a, a bad moon mob, so we did a lot of yellows, and the green really popped against that. Um, so with your new job, just to go back for a second, this is going to be like a, a 9 to 5 or This is going to be like a regular kind of everyday job? Yeah, basically 8 to 5, actually. Cool. So Nice. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it took me years and years to sort of get away from that sort of thing, and so <laughs> I, I definitely understand exactly where you are, so it's, it's totally cool. Um, meanwhile, in my normal everyday life, um, I... Uh, about two years ago, there was a, a local game store in the area called Event Horizon Games that opened up, and they quickly sort of overtook the market. They're just a really nice, clean-looking game store. Have you been in there yet? You've only been here about a month or two now. No, I've been to every other one except for Horizon. Because they're in Garner, they're kind of on the opposite end of where you live. Um, yeah. But they're they're a great little game store, and I got in there early with the owner. I did a couple uh, reviews for him on Bella Lost Souls. We did the one-year review and we did the opening review and he's really if you look at the pictures of the original article um, he's really brought the store full circle he's got a, a really impressive looking store they host a lot of local gts there and um, we've been trying to do a painting class there for the last couple of years and we did a class and uh, it, it did okay but then we didn't have any people return so maybe it didn't do okay i'm not for <laughs> sure uh, and then we tried to keep it going we, we did like five or six classes back to back and then eventually people just stopped coming and I don't know if that's because of me or because of whatever, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work. Um, so we gave up, and then he contacted me. We, we were touching base about something else recently. I don't know what it was, but I, I emailed the owner, and um, he asked me if I would try it again. So I was like, all right, well, it's been a few years. I'll give it another shot. And um, I had talked to you about this at one time, yeah. about teaching classes. And 
Um, so we, we had a class last night and I took a lot of time. Like I had palettes set up, I had brushes set up, I had test mini set up, I had prepared mm -hmm. notes. I had consolidated my notes to make them as simple as possible. And it was going to be a really simple class on just very basic brushwork, how to thin your paints, how to use additives like drying retarder, like the, what I consider the very cores of painting, like mm -hmm. nothing fancy. Nobody showed up. Not, really? not a single... <laughs> Not a single person. Uh, and one of the GT runners, uh, the, one of the show runners over there, he came over to me and was talking to me. And he's like, well, you didn't advertise. I was like, well, we did put it on Meetup and we did put it on Facebook. But uh, apparently we hadn't created an event. We had created, uh, we had posted on the Facebook page for Event Horizon, but we hadn't made an event page. And it got me really thinking about whether that is how it, it has to be. I, I didn't know if I was like, was it my fault? Did I not advertise enough? Did the show... Did the show? Did the store not advertise enough? Yeah. Like, who was at fault there? I wasn't really. I, I didn't really know, but I didn't want to play spam. So what I did was immediately after I got home last night, I created events for every single class on the calendar, put them on there. So if it doesn't work now, you know, we're, I'm, I'm sort of cycling through what the reasons the class doesn't yeah. work are. Is it because of this? Did we not advertise? Did we not do this? Um, so I don't know. Have you ever taught a class before? I have not, no. But I'm sure if it doesn't show up on the events, I mean, some people don't look to check other things. Yeah. And if it's a post on Facebook, it might get flushed out by other posts that override it. So maybe that's why it's That's get true. Flushed. I didn't think about that. It depends yeah. on what shows up in your feed. So it may have been one of those things that it just kind of got kind of lost. Mm -hmm. um, but it got me thinking a lot about social media and its implications in, in, your, in your... It's obviously a huge part of your small business, but whether or not... You know, this is really off topic, but I've been thinking a lot about when someone starts up a new thing on Facebook, like let's say, um, I don't know, a film, because I do films, a lot of film, I'm a filmmaker. So whenever someone makes a short film or a friend of mine does a film, they'll create a page and they invite all their family and friends to like it. And that's okay. That gets you a few hundred likes maybe, which is okay. It's a good start. But then your likes kind of trickle off. They kind of die away. And it's got me thinking a lot about how social media impacts, you know, I don't really know how to phrase it exactly, but but more like, are, are likes artificial? Do people actually really care about what's on Facebook, or is it just more <laughs> like a calendar? You know, like if I like, you know, a video of a kitten, does that mean I'm... Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't right. know. I'm really, like, <laughs> thinking out loud here, but uh, anyway, so bottom line is we're going to try it again, uh, and, and I think maybe sometime in the future we may I may want to sort of delve into the, 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 the subject of social media and how it applies to small business and social... And that sort of stuff in the miniature world. Because I know there's a lot of great painters out there that don't update their social media. But they're great painters. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a question of how how do they continue to build their business. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's only interesting to me. I don't know. Uh, if you guys would be interested in hearing about that, you know, feel free to chime in with a comment. Send us an email at uh, info at warcouncil.com. Uh, so let's move on to On the Painting Desk. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we talk about what we've been painting on. Um, what have you been painting on recently? Uh, still continuing with Infinity. Uh, still continuing with uh, Sigmar. And you're getting Sigmar. In some games for Infinity now, right? Uh, a couple. Yeah. yeah, I just started. So it's a good game. Seems really balanced. A lot of fun. Yeah. Um, quick. It's not like hours long. You can do a game in like 45 minutes. Which and you're is great. playing. You're playing over at Atomic Empire, mm -hmm. which is a huge, almost Emporium-like yeah. store in Durham. It's like a warehouse almost. Yeah, and the crowd over there is pretty good, right? Yeah, very yeah. nice people, at least with the Infinity group that I've met. So Good. Um, so will we be seeing that model, your models anytime soon for that? Or are they going to be posted mm -hmm. on your page? Or Yeah, as soon as my camera is working again. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's right. We, um, we had to order a battery pack. <laughs> yeah. 
that's another thing you don't think about like with small business like you know you've got a good camera but then your battery goes kaput for some yeah. reason and you had to so we ordered a battery pack that should be out of the next week or so so we're sorry about that yeah. um let's see in the meantime we were going to work on the cell stamp prime we're going to actually mm-hmm. do that after the show today yeah i'm um, very excited about that this is their new this is gw's new giant model for age of sigmar um you know, I, I like what they're doing with the Age of Sigmar line. I, I like the whole Chaos versus Stormcast Eternals thing. I would love to see a new model from one of the other factions, though. I'd like to see yeah. something kind of new represented Not there. just a reboxing. Like yeah, not just a reboxing, but something actually new and different for Age of Sigmar. Because you think about how the end times would affect these factions. Mm-hmm. Like what they would do. Um, so I'd love to see something different. But that being said, the Celestron Prime is a beautiful looking figure. Um, she's huge. She's like a oh, hundred millimeter round. Uh, something like that. Yeah, so yeah, she's, she's pretty, pretty big. Um, so we, uh, we expect to have her posted up sometime in the next couple weeks after we get all the final work done on her. Um, we're going to lavish her with some fun effects. She's got this swirling galaxy beneath her. So we're going to have mm. some fun with that. Yes. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm working on a few client commissions right now. I've got a wood elf diorama that I've been posting irregularly. I've got some traditional Ultramarines on my desk that I'm painting up, some drop pods and some tack marines. You have some Ultramarines as well, but they're slightly different. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so it's uh, just a pair of Dreadnoughts. Um, they're a kind of like a Black Templar meets Ultramarine. So they are black and gold uh, with Ultramarine insignia on it. Yeah, they're called the uh, Brotherhood of Ultramar, which I had never heard about before. And the client, and this is one of those things where there's literally a thousand chapters of Marines out there. Yeah. Not all of them are fleshed out. So we, we come across clients all the time that have devoted their army to a chapter that we're just not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, it's a couple dreadnoughts from that chapter, which it looks pretty good. It's actually a very very simple color scheme overall. Yeah, for the Great lining and some gold and stuff. Uh, are you are you pretty tired of painting gold at this point from all the Stormcast stuff? <laughs> As a full armor set, yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit, but um, luckily this isn't so much of that. Well, let's see what else we got. We got Blood Ravens coming up, and Fungus Nids, and Tau. I know I've been promising those, but the reality is they're all giant commissions. Uh, and this is that time of year where it's just people are back to school, things are kind of crazy. Um, even though I'm not in school actively, my wife is, so it's busy at our house. And we're kind of running around. Um, with the the Wood Elf diorama, I want to talk about that for just a minute because I'm really excited about that. This is a uh, a project. You were here when you were working mm-hmm. on the Dread Mob, and I was sculpting up this thing. And, and basically, what it is is the client wanted a, a grove of Wood Elves being summoned, and he's a Wood Elf player, but he's an old school fantasy player, so he plays Eighth Edition rules. So everything's on square bases, and what he wanted was kind of a mini diorama meets. Uh, units that can actually be fielded in game. And you get this request sometimes. Mm-hmm. People want a diorama, but they want something that can also work in game. So what you end up doing is try to try to find the best of both worlds. So uh, on this diorama, it's got these big trees, and we sacrificed a whole sylvan wood to make this work. <laughs> um, or citadel wood, I forget what they call it now. Um, but we've got some giant bits. And I have to thank my, my, old, uh, my wood elf client previously, uh, who is a gamer in my gamer group who had me do a dirt through because there were so many leftover bits yeah. that I was able okay. to use a lot of those on the diorama. And uh, we've had the question before. We have some clients that they send us their models and they ask to get their bits back. And we always ask if you can leave your bits because we we purposely use them in everything. Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of time sorting through bits to make sure we have access to them so that when we do a project like this, for example, other clients can benefit from bits left over from other projects and et cetera, et cetera. And in theory, it's kind of like a pay it forward in bits, if you will, yeah. um, sort of that way. Um, 
Okay, was there any other commission stuff on your painting desk you want to talk about, or anything you're working on for your personal collection, or? Um, really, my personal collection is is the Infinity stuff. Yeah. So, and cool. there will hopefully be pictures up for that. We, we've been talking a little bit about Warma Hordes, and we haven't really talked about that on the show at all. Do you want to chat about that at all? Sort of like, uh, so we, we've yeah. done, we did, we did a Crix commission about a month or so ago, and uh, it came out really well. You did a good mm-hmm. job on it. And um, so I don't know if that ignited your fire or that made you want to sort of start to look into it again. Yeah, it, it did a little bit. Um, I was definitely interested um, for a moment. <laughs> And then I went <laughs> for a hot moment, for, and then you're yeah. like, ah, forget it. Thing is, with the War Machine, like, or hordes in general, there's certain models from each faction that are really cool and yeah. I like, and then there's a whole bunch that I don't. And sure. it's just like one of those things. If I commit to this, then I'm going to be with a bunch of stuff I don't really like. Sure. And I don't really want that. So, 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 bottom line is, you haven't found a faction you really are committed enough to to paint yet. Is that it? exactly? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's okay. Uh, you know, there's a, there's what I like about War Machine and hordes is they have. A different faction for just about anything you can imagine. With Circle mm-hmm. Ouroboros, you've got these strong greens and nature colors, and then you've got these strong reds in the Cador and strong blue in Signar. And then they kind of rinse and repeat that in hordes, although slightly differently because yeah. Crix is kind of kind of green, and then you've got a Legion of Everblight, which is kind of I don't know, sort of Tyranids meets like uh, teal, like yeah, a kind of a teal thing. blue thing. So you've got a lot of different options there. But I, but I, you know, if you're not into it, you're not into it. Um, all right, well, hopefully sometime in the future we'll have some War Machine Hordes. If there's clients out there that are interested in doing War Machine Hordes or War Hordes, we would love to paint some up. We did a, I did a Convergence for Cyrus Army about six, seven months ago. We just did the Cricks, and uh, I've actually got a few other models in, in stock that I want to play with, but we would love some more samples of that in our, in our portfolio. So if you're interested, contact us at uh, info at whitemetalgames.com uh, or just respond in the comments section of the show notes, and we'd love to hear from you. Let's move on to news and rumors, and uh, we're going to talk about what's on the what's on the block, what's coming out, what we're excited about. Uh, why don't you start this one off? What are you excited about coming out uh, here here in the near future? Well, something we've been talking about: um, the new Tau super suit. <laughs> this is listed um, is coming out, which is very it's awesome. Lots of huge guns. Uh, I think the weapons. I think they've released some rules for it. I, I can't remember. I haven't read any of the rules yet. Uh, maybe maybe I'm mis misremembering. Things, I saw. But. I think people are so into the pictures that yeah. at least me, I, you know. And at first, I thought this was going to be a warhound sized model, but they finally we finally seen some scale pictures, mm-hmm. and it was like somebody won it or they they qualified for it or something. So they took it home and they built it and they posted some pictures and they found their way to Bella Lost Souls, and finally we see a finished picture of it and it's about the size of a Serastus Knight. Which, to right. give a general size comparison, a traditional Knight Titan is about, I don't know, six inches tall. And then the Serastus Knight is probably eight and a half. And then yeah. a Warhound is probably close to about 12. He's, he's, he's a big guy. So even though he's almost, they're almost as tall as a Warhound, or at least at his head, he's not nearly as bulky. No. Um, no. So he's, he's, he's big. He certainly is like, I guess, the Knight Serastus version for Tau. Um, and he's he's mean looking. He's got a lot of guns. Yeah. Well, it looks like you've got several options too. Like he's got, I've seen pictures with the huge guns on his back, and mm. then others with stuff on his side. So, see, I haven't seen any of those pictures. I guess I haven't explored it very much. Mm. Um, but I would love to see it in person. I'm hoping that we have a towel client out there that wants us to yeah, pick one up. We please. do have one towel client in studio now. Uh, that we're working on a full army for him, and that should be out sometime in the next couple months. And then. Uh, maybe I can talk him into buying one of those. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll offer to paint it up for a discount or something if he'll just 
you know, let us paint it because I'd love to see that. That'd be a, that'd be a nice showpiece, I think. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, also out now are the prosecutors. So this is not the prosecutors that from the traditional starter kit. Now GW is releasing all of the starter models in individual clam packs, blister mm-hmm. packs, starter you know, or boxes. Uh, do you do you have you seen any of the pictures? Do you see any differences between these? Like yeah. significant differences? Okay. I mean, pose-wise, they actually are quite different. So yeah. poses, they're totally different. You have, I think all three of them are unique poses, whereas with the Sigmar starter set, they pretty much one pose for all of them. Sure. Uh, weapon choices are different. You have javelins, you've got bows. I did uh, see I the weapon choices. And yeah. everything else. So there's a, quite a few changes there. Um, and then there's the clan pack version of him. I, I don't know. I think he's actually in a box. But anyways... Uh, it's a single model where you can build him with a bow or with like a lantern and a banner or something like that. Yeah. Um, but he looks awesome. He even has like an extra like bird or something coming off. It looks like some oh, sort cool. of phoenix type thing. Nice, so nice, it's nice. pretty pretty cool. Is he significantly larger than the traditional model, or is he about the same size? He looks to be about the same size. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell. Yeah. But cool. I think. Yeah. Um, so I guess they're. I mean, I, I like this whole angelic look to mm-hmm. these guys. I think that I think they're really nice. Um, so I, I guess we're gonna have to. I mean, you got to give kudos to GW, man. They are they are just releasing like crazy. Because yeah. <laughs> we've got you on new releases right now, and I know that you're starting to see. We're finally starting to see backup, yeah. where it's just like it's starting to add up. And now with your new job, it may even be slower. So we'll see. Um, but you know, the, they're great looking models. I'm very excited to see them in person. Um, okay, let's see what else is there. Any other news or rumors out there? I don't have anything on my notes, but I'm trying to think if there's anything off the top of my head. It kind of has jumped out to me recently. Yeah, I've seen a few things on Bell from, I think it's like Dark Age is releasing some new models, which look really cool. Yeah, um, those do look good. But other than that, I'm... I now, is Dark Age its own game, or are they just figures for generic gaming? I can't recall. I'm not sure. Cool, It's done by Cool Mini. I'm pretty sure right. it's its own game. Yeah. I think they have their own rules and everything, so... I, I didn't realize it for a long time that Cool Mini are not... That they released their own line of models. Like I just mm-hmm. thought, Cool Mini or not was one of those places where you posted your own, and then I started to see their logo on the boxes. So it didn't occur to me they're like, oh, they released their own line of models. Mm-hmm. And this is apparently is a thing that a lot of a lot of people are doing now. I guess in the age of three D printing, and you know, like Awakened Realms just released or just started releasing their own line of models maybe six months ago. They started a Kickstarter about six months ago, yeah. so it's probably still in the making. I but... think what it's called it's called Edge. I think. Uh... It's not Edge of Oblivion. I'm thinking about that because there's a GT coming up. But I think it's just called either Edge or the the Edge or something like yeah. that. Um, but we're we're a big fan of Awakened Realms. So we we avidly follow everything they're doing. Um, and I I just noticed that like that's the direction they're going. They're building mm-hmm. their own models, and it's really cool. Uh, okay, let's move on to tips on technique. Uh, this is the meat and the heart of our show. Um, so real quick, just as an aside, I listen to a lot of podcasts on the side. I know you don't. Uh, and that's okay. But, uh, so I, I do it when we're, when we're exercising or when I'm in the car, I don't really like the radio. Uh, but I was listening to this podcast the other day. I listened to a lot of film podcasts and they were doing a podcast on Ant-Man on the movie oh. and it's a two hour podcast, which is insane. You know, I used to do those and I was like, I don't understand why these are so long. It, it, I don't mind it being two hours if it's a good two hours. But mm-hmm. so I kept thinking, all right, well, I'll listen to these three guys. There are film critics out in Hollywood or Metacritics or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and it took them... It was something like an hour and a half before they got to to the Ant-Man part of the show. So they spent the first hour and a half like debating 
I don't even know what they were debating anymore. It was stuff not related to Ant-Man. And I got on the podcast thinking like, man, I, I just, I want to get to the meat and, and, right. and, and, you know, and it made me appreciate the way we do show notes on the show. So if you want to just skip past all of this stuff and just get right to the heart of it, you know, about 20 minutes in, you're there pretty yeah. much. Um, so that being said, um, let's, let's get into it. So we're talking about weathering today. Um, when I was thinking about what, what constitutes weathering, it, 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 I think that it's kind of in the name. It's how mm-hmm. how nature affects paint or how it affects metals and how it affects that sort of stuff. So it's different than, let's say, blood or gore or pestilent or, or postules or rot or filth. Even though, like, some of those techniques are sort of the same or you'll borrow from those techniques, the reality is, like, a patina or a rust is because of the way nature plays on metal or mm-hmm. plays on paint or eats away at it. Uh, versus like, let's say, you know, blood, which even though you, it's, it's similar in some of the techniques, it's, it's, you know, so that's kind of what I was thinking of yeah. when we started to talk about the topic. Um, what are some of your favorite weathering techniques or some of your favorite? I guess, what do you like when you look for weathering on a model? Um, well, there's a few things. I mean, I love something you actually introduced to me this past week was weathering powders, yeah. Um, basically pigmentless, uh, or just the pigments from the paint. So there's right. no mixing agent or anything like that. It's just the it's pigment. It's pure pigment. Yeah. And it's great. It works very well for showing, you know, rust effects or any kind of effect that you want to do. Um, of course you do need to seal it at the end, but it's. That's it's, the thing is that it rubs off if you don't mm-hmm. seal it in, even with your hand. Um, and it was funny when I was photographing the dread mob, I had forgotten to seal them first. So I put them down <laughs> on my nice white photography oh, area and all perfect. the black powder is just just unfortunately yeah. i use like one dollar you know poster board from from rite aid so it's fine um but i i was immediately reminded like oh i haven't sealed these yet um so had you never used forge world weathering powders before that or i haven't i haven't no. used any of the i think ak makes a line there's a yeah. whole bunch of them out there but no unfortunately that was my first. a lot of people make their own they do like their own you know versions like secret mini secret weapon miniatures does their own version and uh, lots of different companies do their own version, but I was really taken by how much they charge for them. Like they charge like kind of an arm and a leg. Like, really? yeah, a lot of times you'll see them. Well, and by an arm and a leg, what I mean is pigment to price ratio, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like they'll charge, you know, like, uh, for a small pot, like, like I was giving you, I think I gave you maybe two ounces, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for something like that, you'd probably see like a price tag of six, seven bucks. Which is, in, you know, which bit, at a retail yeah. level is probably appropriate. But for us, for me, I, I was like, yeah, it's just too much money. So what I did is I bought my own directly from a paint company out in Arizona. And this, I just decant them into smaller containers. And that way I can give them out to people like you, give them out to friends or preferred clients. Um, so, um, so I guess we should talk about the application of the powder since we're talking about that. Uh, yeah. Since you had never used it before, why don't you describe the application? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, you, you actually gave me what was a makeup brush. So, Basically it's a makeup brush. Yeah. yeah. Some, something to hold, uh, you know, hold the pigment on, onto the brush. You could use then, a feather brush. I mean, yeah. anything really. And it, it applies very easily. Um, you do have to dab it in there uh, after one or two uses. Just I find it you have to, have enough yeah, on there. the brush doesn't hold it really well. It's no. not like a wet paint where it holds the bristles, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's more like an application. But it's fun to use. I mean, it's quick relatively quick and mm-hmm. depending on how quick or detailed you want to get with it we were using and, a black uh, for all the soot and stuff mm-hmm. but there's really no limit to what you can do i mean obviously natural colors make more sense browns and blacks mm-hmm. and ochres and that sort of stuff 
but they also make like I mean I've got like a fallow blue oxide right? I mean, yeah, yeah oxides, that was really cool yeah so for rust like mm-hmm. that's really good for rust and that actually would have looked pretty good on on the the bad moons but they already had so much rust going on anyway that it felt yeah. like overkill um, so yeah you just take it dab it in put it on um, the, the final so you grabbed a few more on your own have you had a chance to use any of those so far not currently. I haven't yeah. had a lot of rust projects. Probably but... wouldn't look good on Infinity. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little too dirty. Although it is great for basing, too. At the end of a base, maybe you put some of that down. Yeah. Just to um, show some weathering on the... What I like to do is I like to put it on boots, because you always see people walking on the ground, but you never think about how dirty their feet would get. Right. Um, and weathering is one of those techniques that it's a great add-on to a project, uh, and, and this is probably a good place to, to drop it on now, is that you see a lot of, you know, when you're talking about painting a model let's suppose you're painting like I'm painting ultramarines at the moment so I, I fig- try to figure out how I wanted to base coat it how I wanted to layer it how I wanted to dry brush it where my lining should be but then after all that gets done I don't think about well should I weather it should mm-hmm. I weather this guy down and it's one more step on a model that isn't necessarily necessary it, it's it's more superfluous but it's a question of do clients want that and if so do we charge for that or is that part of like should that be part of a basic model? Because, you know, it, on that army, there was like, I don't know, 20 mechs or something. How long did it take? It probably took half an hour. So maybe yeah, more. Roughly. Yeah, and that was on big guys. Like on smaller guys, it may, may take, I don't know, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, more time for detail. And so it's not cool. like you should charge an arm and a leg for it, but it should be, there should be a fee, I think, Certainly. You know, to weather it up. Um, do you think this is something that clients like? Because I find that oftentimes they'll, they'll send me pictures that are models and it's a question of, do I want to suggest that? Or is that the wrong direction? Or should I make that an option for them? And then just sort of put that on like a, like a, a quote sheet. Like, hey, do you want shipping? Hey, do you want weathering? Hey, do you want this? You know, and do clients know what I mean when I say that? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a level of detail that I think is specific to certain clients. I don't think everyone's going to want it. Sure. Um, so I don't, I don't see a problem with charging extra for it. And I think it's just something that you can... A check sheet would be helpful, I think, just so they yeah. can go through. This is what's considered weathering. These are different types of weathering we can right. do. How many of those effects do you want? Sure. And, and there's overkill, too. It's like, mm-hmm. at what point are you just overdoing it? Are you yeah. like, well, I want to chip, and I want to weather, and I want blood and gore. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Your model's getting really muddy at this point. It's really hard to sort mm-hmm. of figure out what the, what the right... what The right the balance. You know, right, yeah. the balance. That's a good way to put it. Um, so maybe a good suggestion would be, like, pick two. Or something like that, yeah. like this and this, you know, so we don't overdo it. All right, so aside from pigments and powders, um, I guess we can talk about rust uh, and patina. So rust, for me, I mean, I've found there's a couple different good ways to do it. One is weathering powder, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. And another way is just sort of like um, what we did with the bad moons is we actually started with, uh, we built it up from reds to kind of a rusty brown, and then we splashed in some, some oranges with the airbrush, and that created, I, I thought, was a very good rust effect. Yeah. And then we stipled metal over that, and so you got the finished product looked pretty great. I thought pretty pretty rusty. Yeah. Um, another way I've seen some people do it with washes, like they get like a rust brown. Have you ever washed rust on? Have you ever tried that? I haven't. Because um, no, the streakiness can, is something that yeah. you don't really get with the powder. Yeah, that's a problem with it. I mean, you easily get the lines in there where it dries or it gets yeah. too thick in some areas, and it ends up looking. Uh, 
gets glossy almost. Sure. And it's it can get muddy, messy easily. So one of the things Kenny Boucher does a really good job of is that when I've seen him do his vehicles and he'll do rust effects, he does a really good job of just creating these. They call them dagger strokes with an airbrush, and he does a really light dagger stroke with like a red or something, or not a red, but like a rust brown. And they usually do it from like a vent or like a, a door jam or somewhere where r- water would collect. And they actually look really nice. It's a really nice, simple little effect. But my, my dagger stroke is not quite quite good enough yet to really be able to pull that off. Um, why don't we talk about patina real quick? And, and does that... Do you, I'm sure you know what I mean by when I say that, but does the average... No? Okay, sure. No. So, uh, so patina, <laughs> exactly. is, patina is bronzing. It's like when something bronze gets wet, it turns that bluish color. Oh, okay. That's patina. I gotcha. And, and, and I think that specifically the way Webster's defines it is that it's like the, the leftover... Like the wet residue, the wet rust from metal or something like that. Okay. Unlike traditional metal rust, which is kind of brown and red, patina is that bluing that you get when you get bronze or brass. You'll see a lot of times. Is it similar to like oxidation? Yeah, it's, oxidation? it's exactly <laughs> oxidation. Oxidation. <laughs> it's exactly oxidation. Um, so it's it's the yes exactly. Okay. Um, so that's a very popular technique. In fact, yeah. I did a Necron squad one time that I just really did bottom line. I was like, I did bronze, then I did a patina wash, and then I was like, all right, I'm done. Um, and I think I did some LSL, but... Do there's you... some definitely, I mean, there's some good um, effect paints that I've used. I'm, I use a lot of GW product. Sure. Um, and they have a couple, they actually have a nickel oxide that gives that, like, greenish tint that you get it's, from copper. I picked some up the other day. It's got a nice color. Yeah, you can yeah. get, it's another example of how you can get way too much of it and you can ruin a model if you're not careful with it so sure. it's not something you'd be liberal with but you need to be very precise with it they also have a um, rise of rust which yeah. is like an orangish rust color and that now are these glazes or are these paints they're more like paints because they're called well, technicals is what they're called right yeah the oxide's yeah. pretty thin the rise of rust is pretty thick so yeah. it just depends on which one you get but they're they're pretty good as well i like them a lot i've seen a lot of people there's a big gw statue model what's it called um some sort of honored the Imperium. Kit. Yeah, yeah, the honored Imperium. So a lot of times people will do that because it's a perfect mm-hmm. place to do rust effects or or, or oxidation or, or yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> oxidation. <yeah. laughs> um, so I definitely want to talk about chipping as well, um, but I think what we can do is we can actually uh, we're going to take a brief break real quick, and then we're going to jump into tutorials of the week tutorials. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about chipping as it applies to weathering because we watched a couple uh, videos this week that we want to talk about from Schnauzer Face, Minis, and Scale War Machines, and then it'll be a good opportunity to sort of chat about that. So we'll be right break, right break, we'll be right back after this brief break. Hey guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to, like, at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're at, like, 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people could be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial, like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information. And until you do, put your manies where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back to War Council. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, different sort of weathering techniques, and we were going to talk about chipping uh, and how that applies to models. Um, 
So we, for the tutorials of the week, which we're going to jump into now, we watched a couple different videos. First off, there's lots of good videos out there, mm -hmm. but these are the two of the ones that caught my eye. Um, so the first one is Hairspray Weathering by Schnauzer Face Minis, um, which is just fun to say. Schnauzer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the guy who, who does Schnauzer, Schnauzer Face Minis, um, uh, first off, he's a great painter. I think he's a, he's yeah. an incredible airbrusher. He's one of my sort of uh, like one of the guys I kind of look to for techniques. Whenever I'm painting a new figure and I'm trying to get ideas, I'll, I'll look at his channel a lot. Um, he's he's fun. He's very affable on camera. Like he he makes really bad jokes. <laughs> Apparently, this is a sign of a good video tutorial. Yeah. Is bad jokes. Bad jokes. Like all you really need are just terrible jokes. So I need to get a joke book when I start doing more yeah. videos. <laughs> um, so he did a hairspray weathering technique, and and to sort of briefly outline. Like, with hairspray weathering, I think, you know, I, I'll be honest, I've only done it once or twice. Um, but I did it in combination with salt, so I didn't really do it completely. I did kind of a bastardized version of it, too. <laughs> um, so the hairspray weathering technique, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the basic idea is you lay down your, your base colors, or whatever's going to be beneath the chipping. Mm -hmm. Then you lay down a layer of hairspray, and I guess just real hairspray. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not for sure. Like, in the video, he does it with an airbrush, I think. But it's hard to see because it's off camera. So it could have been a squirt bottle. I know that they make hairspray squirt bottles, and that's what I use. I think I've seen some people who actually will take the canister and spray it into a cup and okay. let it you know, build up the liquid and then pour it into your airbrush. It seems like an extra step you don't need if you can just buy it in the spritz bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I will point out that I think that if you do put it in your airbrush, my, my suggestion would be to clean your airbrush really well. Because yeah. like when I run varnish through an airbrush... I think that, that that stickiness is going to stay, and I think you're going to have some problems. So just be be sure that you go ahead and, and clean your airbrush really well or soak it that night. Um, so he does that, and then he basically, uh, this creates sort of a water-soluble level, I guess you might call it. Then he applies several levels of paint above that, including his highlight levels. Mm -hmm. And so basically the model gets done, and then what he does is he goes back in with... he. Then the video, he takes like a Q-tip and he cuts it kind of jagged like a shank or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and he basically starts chipping away at it. Um, and I, I think the idea is that the hairspray creates like a barrier level. So it's almost like a varnish. So you can get down to the hairspray, but getting past the hairspray, you'd have to really sort of really work hard. hard yeah. yeah. So you watched the video. What did you think about it? Uh, I mean, it's definitely an effective tool. He gets very nice, precise cuts... I should say cuts or chips, scratches and things, um, without damaging the model itself. Uh, Specifically not going all the way down to the base yeah. layers, like not to the pewter or the plastic or the resin. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's doing it on a Signar storm wall, so I think that's a combination of pewter and resin parts. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they change their materials. They do. <laughs> so, uh, so, but you were commenting, and we'll talk about this more with the product review, but you said that you felt, kind of felt like he was working pretty hard at it. Like he was kind of chipping away. Yeah, he, he had to put a little bit of effort into it. The, it you have to use something sharp. Yeah, I mean, in some there are some materials, like a shank, and, um, like a shank. <laughs> uh, and I'll be going over this in the product review, but there are other materials that are much easier where you can just use a brush. Um, he had to use a sharpened Q-tip. So, uh, yeah, it's, it definitely takes more effort than in some other areas, but... When I think of a Q-tip, I don't think of it even being sharp. Like the shaft of it, if I was to cut that off with like a knife, I don't even see how that would be sharp. And maybe it was sharp enough. But he had it at a point, though. Yeah. And he, he was scratching on it, so it was definitely, I don't know, it almost looked like a toothpick. It wasn't even, yeah. I don't know. 
Well, the advantage of this, I think, is that he... Maybe it was a toothpick, and he just said Q-tip. Maybe he wasn't... I'm not sure. Uh, so um, one of the nice things about this technique is that it does create like a 3D technique. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I've done shipping in the past, what I've seen people do, and I've done this once or twice, is I'll, I'll dab uh, black onto the model, and then I'll dab silver into the center of the black, so it creates a 3D effect, like you have the shadow from the chip. And what this does is it actually creates the chip. So in theory, you'd have layers of, you know, at least two layers down. So you'd mm-hmm. have the top layer and the bottom layer. So if you were to feel it with your hand, you'd feel the chip, yeah. which I think is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that our eye will pick that up. So that's that's kind of an advantage. Um, the second video we watched was, uh, uh, and, and by the way, there will be links to their videos in the, in the show notes for Schnauzer Face Minis. And, and the second one, which is by a company called, or a studio called Scale War Machines, which... I had I think I've seen this tutorial before, but I haven't followed them actively. I don't know if they're actually a paint studio or just like paint voodoo or dabble. not voodoo. Yeah, they just dabble. Uh, like the painting Buddha is not actually a commission studio; they're just a painting studio. And what they do is they show you their stuff, but I don't really think they're out there for commission. They're just out there to. They actually, I think, they get paid by the videos they, with, on Patreon. Certain, yeah. So they yeah. the seventh video in their series, you can pay like a dollar or five dollars and get access mm-hmm. to it. Very cool. Um, so the second one was a salt shipping tutorial, and this is a little different than hairspray weathering. And I think the big difference here is that they use salt as a masking agent, mm-hmm. basically. And, and, and a lot of this is all about masking. How do you mask off areas of the model? Um, you know, effectively, you're masking off the the lower levels of the metals. You know, the hairspray weathering technique with the hairspray, you just mask off that entire area, right. so that you, when you chip down to it, you get down to the colors. Um, with the salt chipping, um, well, you had never seen this technique before. Have you ever seen this technique before? I'd seen it on done on like traditional canvas yeah. and parchment, but I've never seen it on a model, and it it was awesome. It's I, pretty I good, think it's right? Really cool. I think part of the, what made that model really kick for me was that they they did this like VW bug, and they had actually painted different parts of the model in different colors. Mm-hmm. As though the the model itself was haphazardly strewn together from because you occasionally pass that car on the highway oh, yeah. where it's like I don't know I pulled the bender the fender from this the bumper from this <laughs> different but, colored doors know, right yeah <laughs> and uh, with the with the VW Bug there's such an old car uh, you know that I could see that being the case mm-hmm. so they did that which was great it was a great idea and then they laid down some really good rust layers yeah. Uh, and then what he did was he picked a really nice contrasting color, which was like this oxidized teal blue. Mm-hmm. So basically what he did was he laid down uh, he laid down the rust, and then he took a wet brush and just just went over the model with water, sprinkled on the salt on the areas that he wanted mask. And I think what happens is the water dissolves the salt slightly. So mm-hmm. it sticks. Sticks to it, yep. So it gives it a few minutes to dry, and then he starts laying down his top layer, which in this case was the teal blue. Uh, gives that a few minutes to dry. It doesn't say how he doesn't say how long. He just has some time, uh, and then uh, uses an old toothbrush to sort of just chip it away. And what you get is the salt comes off, uh, and it leaves behind whatever color was beneath the salt, which was in this case the red. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to note that he didn't overdo it in the video. Like he really he applied the salt in kind of like towards the edges and towards the the far edges as opposed to the center. Which, when you think about an old car sitting in a junkyard, like, where is the sun and the rain going to hit it the most? It would make sense that that would be the center, I think. So, those were the areas that were completely exposed. And then the salt was applied to the edges, where paint, eh, it might be hanging on after a few decades. 
Um, Definitely. So, yeah. and so it looked really organic. Was, was I kept thinking this is really organic looking. Very organic, more natural. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the difference between the two techniques, the salt and the hairspray. Yeah. The hairspray, you're the one that's choosing the locations, and sometimes it can get... It doesn't look as natural. Yeah, because you're kind of picking and choosing. Exactly. Like maybe here, maybe there. It doesn't have that randomized look to it that right. the salt definitely gives. So it does. it's a longer process, I think, to probably do the salting. Sure. Um, but better results, I think. I've seen more bad versions of the hairspray weathering technique. Like mm-hmm. I watched a video the other day, and I won't name the, the, the service that did it because I don't want to speak illy, ill of any of our, our fellow hobbyists out there. But they just, like you kind of said, they kind of put the chips in the, the streaks and they did a lot of claw marks and stuff. And they just, it just felt overdone. Mm-hmm. It was like it was too much. Um, and I, I just felt like if they, had just, if they had just eased it back a little bit, it would have worked better. Definitely. Um, so why don't we just move right on to product review? Because this, you know, obviously these are kind of, uh, you know, we're talking about chipping techniques. And so your product review, what are you reviewing this week, actually? So I focus on the AK chipping fluid. Um, it's made by AK, uh, and it's similar to AK the, makes a bunch of interactive products, right? They have they, tons of stuff. Yeah. I mean, they they have weathering powders, they have terrain stuff. They, do they have their own paint, line of paint lines, I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. Um, so they've got a whole slew of, of things, but this the chipping fluid they have is along the lines of the hairspray technique. Um, same idea. You put a base color down, you cover it up with the chipping fluid. And I use an airbrush to do this. And then you put your... Use the airbrush to apply the shipping fluid? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then your final layer on top of it, however many layers you want. And then what the difference with this is um, you don't need something sharp. You don't need a Q-tip or a you know, cut-down Q-tip or a toothpick or anything like that. You can just use a brush. Um, just put water on your brush and wipe like a, over like the Like a firm brush? Like a, like a dry brush brush or just a regular brush? Just brush. a standard brush. Really? It can be very soft. Uh, it doesn't need a lot of pressure. So the way there's a couple ways that I've found you can use this depending on um, you know, how much of a chipping effect you want to use. So if you use a little bit of this, like put a thin layer down, um, it doesn't come off as easily. You might want to put a little more pressure on the, on the uh, okay. paint to kick it off. Um, but if you use a ton of it, it will come off very easily. You'll, uh, you don't need to apply much pressure. Um, and it will just fall right off. The paint will just fall off the. Uh, the so, did you, did, was this on one model that you were testing this on, or on multiple models? Because when you say mm-hmm. multiple layers, was it like you tried different numbers of layers on different figures, or did you oversaturate areas of the model? Uh, this is my just kind of more of my experience through a few models. I've done yeah. quite a few. Okay. Uh, so the one I've done most recently is Imperial Knight, okay. and um, I put quite a liberal amount of it on there. It, it, I overdid it a little bit, and um, when I applied the water, it ended up falling off. In when you say clumps. fall off, do you mean like kind of sloughs off? Like, like, mm-hmm. like It picks up onto your brush. Really? Okay. Yeah, so you can, it doesn't stick to the model somewhere else or anything. You just picks up right on the brush, and you can, you know, put in your cup of water. And so what it must off. be is it must be that the lower layers, like, that's just fascinating to me. So I guess the water somehow activates it or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Um but it doesn't chip away the lower layers. It only Not chips away. That's amazing. Like yeah. I, I don't under like I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, but that's fascinating. So it takes the place of the hairspray. Mm-hmm. When you applied it through your airbrush, what was the consistency like? Was it? Thick? I just put it right just in there. Right in there. Yeah, I just took a little. Did uh, you have any problems carbon. later with clogging or anything like that? No, no, no. It's not a tacky film or anything like that. It's yeah. just almost like water coming out. Wow. Actually, really more nice. like soap. It does kind of bubble up a little bit if you yeah. shake it up, but. 
yeah, it's it's very thin and it doesn't require any real cleaning other than water. Did you find that um, with it being that thin, how did you deal with overspray, like on the areas of the model that you didn't? I, gu I guess if you yeah. just don't wash those areas down, it just stays there permanently. Exactly. I wonder if later, if you don't varnish the model effectively and you get caught in the rain, it like, <laughs> start to melt. Like, you do want to varnish like afterwards, the Witch of the West. Uh, yeah, very good. Um, so that's really cool. Now, I know that AK has a bunch of different interactive... And the thing is, with chipping fluid, I didn't... I've never used it. I've never watched a video on it. And I didn't feel like... I don't know. I, I found it... I wasn't ready to approach it quite yet. Do you find that... Have you tried any of their other products or any of the other... Because like, I've seen some that are like grime streaks or something like that. And I wonder if it's a similar kind of thing where you put down a water-soluble level and then you basically streak with your brush or something like that. Yeah, that unfortunately I'm not so sure. Yeah. I haven't used anything. I actually I have used their mineral spirits, but I, that's really just typical mineral spirits. Yeah, but more expensive, I'm guessing. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, very cool. Um, well, uh, I have not tried it out yet, so I definitely want to try it out. Um, if any of our listeners out there have tried it out, I would love to hear what their thoughts on uh, were about the AK chipping fluid, whether whether or not they've had the same sort of luck or same sort of success. Um, we we're kind of finishing up product review a little bit early, so I guess is there any other stuff about weathering that we want to talk about? We've talked a little bit about rust and, and chipping and patinas and the powders, and we've talked a little bit about price for our clients, but is there any sort of like last-minute thoughts we have on weathering before we kind of wrap this topic up? Um, um, I mean, maybe when we should apply weathering. That's a good point. Like, I, we talked about balance a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I have used, actually, this is this is fine. I have used weathering to sort of hide mistakes before. <laughs> like I've used that a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is like, for example, uh, I'll, I'll use a really typical example. So um, if I base a model before I paint the model, let's suppose I, I do, well, I'm doing an ultramarines right now and I haven't messed the ultramarines up. So my client doesn't think that's the case. Um, but one of the things that I'll do is I'll paint the model. I'll, I'll base the model with my flocking material, and then I'll, I'll prime the model. So now the prime, now the flocking material is whatever color the primer was, brown or black or whatever. In the case of the ultramarines, I prime them black, so it's black. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there, I'm going to lay on some browns onto the, the flocking material to sort of start to bring out some of the color. Inevitably, invariably, some of the brown gets on the model. Mm -hmm. It just happens. So then it becomes a question of, like, well, I'll just tidy up the blue real quick. And that's fine. But one of the things with airbrushing is when you start to do airbrushing is that you'll get a gradient layer mm -hmm. where you'll get darker, you know, the blue isn't quite as saturated at the bottom as it is at the top. So if I just dab on paint with my brush, if you're looking closely, it's not consistent. No. So then it becomes, like, this endless cycle of, like, touching up at the airbrush, touching up the base. And so one sort of simple solution I've found here is that if I just use a little bit of weathering powder on their boots to make it look like they're kind of tromping through mud, tromping through dirt, then that kind of works. Yeah. It, it kind of is a simple technique to sort of cover up what would otherwise be a very simple mistake. But, you know, in the case where a simple dab of, I keep saying simple, and none of this is really that simple. But, um, you know, I, if you don't want to just dab in your paint pot, if that's not the opportune way to do it, this is a nice way to kind of constructively cover up what would otherwise be seen as a mistake and make it a, make it a success, I, I think. Have you ever yeah. had something like that happen? Definitely. Um, I mean, it's definitely an easy way to clean up. It. You're making something look dirty, but you're actually right. cleaning up an area, which uh, is very helpful. And again, it makes something look a little bit more natural. Yeah. They're clabbing through mud. They're, they're going to get dirty. So, But I think what's consistent is, for pretty much all of these things, it's sort of the last thing you do. 
Sure. Uh, you always apply the weathering techniques at the end before you know you seal your model in. It's kind of a finishing it. technique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, GW, while we're sort of on the loose topic of their technical paints, they have another one called like, oh, what's it called? It's like called not. It's not called rot, but it's some sort of like grime or something that you can There's sort of typhus corrosion. That maybe so that's what I'm thinking of. It's it's like a dark brownish, but it actually I think it has like uh, sand in it. Like yeah, a little bit. Why don't we talk about that for a second? Because mm -hmm. that is, um, you know, uh, so it's it's kind of the opposite of chipping. Whereas instead of a masking agent, it's actually like gunk yeah. you kind of put on the model, right? You put like in between maybe where like the pumps and stuff or the right. gears come together type thing. So it just becomes like a layer of kind of filth or dirt or grime. Exactly. Have you ever tried that on a model? Like on their boots? I or have. I, well, I've actually, I pretty much used all these different technical paints on the Imperial Knight that I was, I've was i been working on. So he's got so a lot I've of got, different. Yeah. He's, just a, he's, master he's a master of techniques. <laughs> yeah. So it's, this is um, the pinnacle of my creation. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I want to make him look dirty and in, in, in a dark, dank environment. Sure. So, I mean, the base is covered in ruins and water, broken pipes, and all these things. So, yeah. um, the typhus corrosion it does give a gritty look to it. Now, does it have to be painted? Like, I guess by painted, mm -hmm. I mean like it, it comes with the pigments already in the paint, right? Yeah, you just kind of dab it on essentially, sure. um, and you can get thick with it or very thin, you know, depending on how you want. Um, the sand, it's not too grainy from the sand, yeah. uh, so you can be, it's not going to get clumpy on you unless you make it that way by putting a ton of paint down on it. What about but, overdoing it? Have you ever overdone it with it? And if so, how did you clean it up? Uh, that's something that I will say, it's a bit tricky to clean up. Yeah. It, it binds to it. It's, uh, Does it bind fast? Like as soon as it dries? No, it dries or? like normal paint. Oh, okay. Um, so you've got a little time. Yeah, yeah, but it'll show up. I mean, you can't really correct the mistake by covering it up because sure. of the sand. Because there's sand in it. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to show up on the model. So uh, it, it's something you do towards the end, and I would definitely be more cautious. Sure. Be very careful with it, um, and then build up from that a cool. smaller amount. Well, with all of the different stuff you've got going on with this night, I can't wait to see this guy. He's going to be, you know, uh, sort someday, of... Someday, someday. Uh, all right, well, let's just jump about right on into our one-minute rants. Uh, one-minute rant is when we finally get a chance to vent about something. Um, I, I don't consider myself a, a hater of any sort of regard, but we do find <laughs> that there are things that are frustrating that we run into in the miniature painting world and that we want to talk about. Uh, so with all of the, the hairspray weathering and the salt chipping, basically these are all masking techniques of mm -hmm. one form or another. They're either masking with hairspray, masking with salt, uh, masking with you know, tape or whatever. So it got me thinking about masking fluid. Um, so my rant this week is going to be on easy mask, masking fluid, but really just masking fluids in general. Yeah. So um, I'm going to set our clock, and here we go. <clears throat> what the hell, liquid mask? What the hell? So liquid mask is basically uh, just a, it's exactly what it sounds like. It, it mm -hmm. comes out kind of gunky in the bottle. And what you do is you apply it to models. You put it on the part of the model you don't want paint to come on. And then in theory, when you're done painting the model, you just peel it off like a, like a scab or like tape or whatever. <laughs> it sounds awful. Uh, but I applied Easy Mask by a company called Ambroid, uh, which is a kind of a cheaper masking agent to a model uh, about a year ago and I, I put it down on the model and I painted it all up and when I went to scrape it away paint was coming off the easy mask wasn't coming off I have never been able to make liquid mask work and I don't know if that's because the liquid mask needs some sort of you know something that it doesn't stick to like a satin varnish or yeah, a gloss or a, or a barrier like a barrier 
but I read the directions and nowhere on here does it say anything about a mask or a barrier. It just says dry completely, clean with water, pull off, cut away with your hobby knife, da 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 da. So what the hell, liquid mask? You're letting me down. Liquid mask in general is just letting me down. I, I don't have a good one. I haven't found one I liked yet. And because of that, I just don't use it. So if someone out there can recommend a good one and show me it works, great. So what the hell, liquid mask? What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> okay, uh, that's my one-minute rant. What are you going to rant about this week? You know, I didn't have much, but I will say I have used another version of liquid mask, and I, too, have had an issue with it. I don't remember who makes it off the top of my head. I think it's it might be AK, actually, who does it, oh, uh, or something like that. But it's We love your shipping fluid. I used it because uh, there's an artist I follow, um, Andrew... Angelo Duraldez, he is the head painter of Infinity. Incredible painter. Uh, he loves this stuff. He uses it all the time, it looks like. Uh, in his tutorial book, he uses it. So I figured I'd pick up some of it. And I don't know if it's the paints I use. I, again, I use GW product a lot. Um, he uses Vallejo. Maybe it works better with Vallejo for some reason. I don't know. But a lot of times, it does come off easily, but it will pull off the layer of paint. So how long do you let the paint cure before you apply I mean I've it done it anywhere between immediately after I'm done airbrushing to a day or two later mm -hmm. and it still has the same effect. Yeah, I would say that a day or two later is probably the better, but if it's even doing it then, that's plenty of time to cure. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't that's crazy. So I don't I, maybe it's just the GW paints are too thick. They're not technically airbrush paint, so maybe that's part of the problem. That's um cuz I don't think you're supposed to paint over. Sure. But uh yeah. So liquid mask in general, I don't see it being very good. <laughs> At least I, I think it needs, it needs some work. It needs yeah. some time. Um, so if anyone out there has some good ideas on how to use liquid mask effectively, we would be eager to hear about it. Please. <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to our outro to the week. We are out of here. Um, this has uh, been episode 13 on weathering. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that this has been a lot of fun. I, I'm curious to take some of these techniques and try them out, maybe on a whole army. Like, I'd love to, like, do an orc project where we do this. Um, we've been talking a little bit about a Necron project, which would be a, a perfect opportunity because they're Definitely. all metal. So maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll try it on the Necrons and see what we can get with that. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon. And I'm Phil Corman. And this has been War Council, uh, our podcast dedicated to hobby and hobbying in general and miniature painting specifically. Uh, you can follow us on iTunes. Uh, we'll have a link here in the show, but if you just go to iTunes and look for War Council, you'll find us there. You can also find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash War Council. Um, and we have direct links to the podcast from our webpage from whitemetalgames.com. Oh, speaking of, this will be the last thing I'll cover in the outro because I was supposed to cover it in the intro. Uh, we are in the middle of our redesign uh, on the White Metal Games site. So be sure to check that out. That's coming along well. We just launched our new template. Uh, we decided just to take most of the old data and, and copy it over to the new template, even though we are going to be redoing everything on it, from the rates to the way we describe our levels. So right now, the only page that I can say is valid is the home page. Uh, but take a look at the new page. Be sure to check on it. But don't commit to the rates yet, because the rates are being redone. We have repolished our rates based on uh, what our competitors are charging and just sort of getting more with the time. So all the rates aren't valid. The site is coming along, so be sure to check that out, whitemetalgames.com. Um, Philip, your site is brushworkminis.com, or it's on Facebook on at Facebook, Facebook yeah. slash brushworkminis. Uh, and until next time, put your minis where your mouth is. <laughs> <laughs>